This episode is brought to you by Recall Buzz, powered by VinSmart. Learn more about how we can help you with fleet recall management and maintenance updates, as well as capture vehicle history and VIN data. Give VinSmart a call at 1-888-950-9550 or visit us on the web at vinsmart.com slash businesses. Welcome to AnvaCast, bringing news, information, and expertise to the Anva community. Here's your host, Ian Grossman. Enjoy the show. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for joining us this week on the AnvaCast. This week, we're going to learn about one of Anva's strategic partners, the National Transportation Safety Board, commonly referred to as the NTSB. And to learn about the NTSB and some of their activities, we're going to talk with Dr. Robert Malloy, who is the Director of the Office of Highway Safety at the NTSB. Rob, welcome to your first appearance on the AnvaCast. Thank you so much, Ian, and thank you so much for having me on the AnvaCast. Let's start at the very beginning, Rob, which is to say NTSB, uh, I think it's fair to say, is one of the few household names in the government transportation sector. There, there aren't many that I think folks that even aren't in our business might recognize and know of. Most commonly, of course, it's seeing you know the unfortunate situation where an incident has occurred, often in aviation, and you see those the jackets with NTSB written on the back. Uh, But that is um, perhaps underestimating what the NTSB is and is all about. Uh, So let's start with NTSB 101 for our listeners. Give me that high-level overview. If someone didn't know the household name of NTSB, how would you explain to them where you've worked for, you know, nearly 25 years. Certainly. Um, The National Transportation Safety Board is an independent board that investigates crashes uh, to determine a probable cause and make recommendations for improvement. And in 1967, when the Department of Transportation was being formed, it was critical to legislation at the time to make sure safety was a priority. And that's when they formed the National Transportation Safety Board with five politically appointed board members to emphasize how important safety was in transportation. And even though it was created at the time that the DOT was being created, it is a completely separate independent entity from the U.S. Department of Transportation. Yeah, I think in 1974, they realized for us to be truly affected, we need to be completely independent from the Department of Transportation. And so they had the Independent Safety Board Act which created that independence. So when we do an investigation, we really don't have a stake in it other than safety for the traveling public. And in that stake, the result of the investigation is the very well-known recommendations of the NTSB. That's right. So explain to us what that mechanism is when the NTSB makes recommendations. Certainly. And when we do the um, investigation, we're going to determine a probable cause of why the crash happened and then identify ways we can prevent this from happening in the future. And we'll make those recommendations to states, manufacturers, to the federal government like at DOT. And then we will follow up with them on those recommendations to do our best to get them implemented. And in general, we get about 80% of the recommendations implemented. Which is pretty amazing when you consider the fact that there is very little you can do to force any of these entities to follow the recommendations. They really have to agree, buy into it, and opt in. What do you account that success rate for 
when it's something that you can't force an entity to do, but they're choosing to follow the recommendation. I think that's absolutely true to remember that nobody has to do a recommendation we ask. Um, the reality is, is we have a long history of making good recommendations that have been effective in improving transportation safety. Plus, we have transparency. So we will work with many of the entities that are involved in the crash, uh, the carriers, the manufacturers of the vehicles, the regulators, um, as part of our investigation. And as they're part of the investigation, they also see the need for the recommendations we make. But one of the things we'll also do is we'll also issue recommendations that sometimes are very challenging to implement. And we know that not everything will be implemented, but we need to make sure we are challenging safety groups to, to do the most they can to prevent the future accident. And in addition to issuing the recommendation and following up to see whether you've done it or not, is there other in-between efforts to encourage them, since like you say, we can't force them to, encourage, advocate, you know, I, I won't use the word lobby, but certainly <laughs> in the in the non-political sense of lobbying, of championing them to use the recommendation. So we'll use a number of uh, different methods to advocate for our recommendations. Some we'll just go to meetings and basically inform uh, groups what our recommendations are um, to allow them to talk to us about what they could potentially do. Uh, we'll set up regular meetings with groups that we do have recommendations that are open to discuss what the status is. And of course, we have our most wanted list of uh, safety items that really bring a highlight to some of those items that we really want to prioritize action on. Uh, so the public's aware of our need to move in that direction of getting these safety recommendations implemented and the entities themselves know this is a priority. So I think it's fair to say that most of the higher profile activity of NTSB over the years has been related to aviation, commercial aviation. Is there a reason for that? Is there a history of why that had been the focus? Well, when you think about commercial aviation uh, relative to highway crashes, there are relatively few people investigating aviation crashes. You know, the FAA, the NTSB, um, they're the primary ones who are capable of doing that. When it comes to highway crashes, luckily there are thousands of other groups working on them. Uh, local police organizations are, are going to do their investigations. So there's a lot of people examining highway safety crashes, but there aren't that many organizations uh, dealing with aviation crashes. And the reality is just the large size of the, you know, the crashes that we haven't had recently really garner public attention right away. But it's not to say that there isn't plenty of surface transportation activity that NTSB has been engaged in and is engaged in currently. Certainly. When you think about, you know, again, 36,000 people dying on our roadways, um, it's critical for us to do the work we do to identify ways to reduce that number. Uh, we will have our share of big crashes. Our investigation of the limousine crash in Skohari, New York, that resulted in 20 fatalities was, was a, a major news story. Uh, when we investigate a bridge collapse, like the bridge collapse we investigated in Florida uh, with the pedestrian bridge, or the Minneapolis bridge collapse. Those are national stories and, and we need to do our investigations to reassure the public that they're safe traveling over bridges or in limousines. So let's talk about a couple of those highway 
crashes that are most connected to our AMVA members who are many of our listeners of this podcast. You brought up one of them with the limousine crash in, in New York. Um, for those that maybe aren't as, as read up on that, can you recall the key recommendations that came out of that investigation? Certainly. When we were doing that investigation, you know, when 20 people lost their lives in a limousine that really didn't go through the proper inspection protocols, um, one of the recommendations we made and the, the state worked on was making sure that if someone tries to register a limousine, it gets properly identified as a bus. And we made recommendation in New York to make sure that their definition of what a bus is are consistent to make sure that when the um, people are registering, it gets the more strict bus inspection to make sure that people who are paying to use that are, are, are safe. And the other one that I know is really a more recent one has been one that's had a lot of, not only a lot of media attention, but a lot of conversation within the AMVA community was the crash in New Hampshire caused by a truck with a series of motorcyclists that were on the road. Was that an investigation that you were involved in as part of that, that follow-up? I know NTSB was. I'm just asking, asking you in the casual conversation of a podcast if it's something Rob worked on. <laughs> Certainly. You know, in, in that case, um, I was, I'm the director of the office, so my investigators worked on that investigation. And, you know, we found that the driver of the truck uh, who crossed over um, a two-lane road, crossed over to the opposing traffic and hit a number of motorcyclists, killing seven of them. He had previously been convicted of a DUI, driving under the influence. And because of that, it was in another state than his home state, um, and that was reported to his home state to get his license potentially suspended. And the communications there fell through. They were notified in Massachusetts both electronically and through paper, and that didn't get processed. So as a result of that investigation, we asked the states to look at their process they do to notify other states when somewhere in, in their state's been uh, convicted of a DWI, and then also look at how they receive that information to make sure that it's getting processed, because we don't want to miss those opportunities to, again, keep unsafe drivers off the road. Um, and that was a missed opportunity. Yeah, it's something that we've talked about in the AMVA community where we're constantly trying to raise the bar and close the loopholes. And it's unfortunate sometimes that it's these tragic events that bring those loopholes to light. Uh, but then it's helpful, whether it's NTSB or even the states themselves. You know, you mentioned Massachusetts. You know, in this case, it was a case where Massachusetts really showed a lot of transparency and did a lot of investigation to figure out, okay, we, we might have done something that we could do better. How do we close those loopholes? I think sharing the information about licensing is a key part of that, keeping that cycle going to keep, as you say, the unsafe drivers off the road. And that's one of the things that's one of the most important parts of what the safety board is doing is we're helping others learn from crashes so that each state doesn't have to experience that same uh, error. You know, So the work we did and the work that Massachusetts did in identifying ways to improve their system, you know, we make a recommendation to 50 states so that they can basically find if there are any improvements needed in their system without having to have the crash that we had in New Hampshire. You mentioned earlier the uh, most wanted list. So I wanted to come back to that a bit because it is something that we see 
a, a lot of communication from NTSB about list of recommendations that you are most interested in seeing implemented to define for my listeners a little more what you mean when you say a most wanted list. Well, so what we're going to do with our most wanted list is we're going to look at, you know, the issue areas that the board has investigated where we have open recommendations because each one of the items on our most wanted list will have to be supported by open recommendations. Look at what's something that's a critical need with regard to it's having a large impact on transportation uh, and the safety. And is it something that we can act upon in the next two years, the cycle of the most wanted list? And so when we look at that, it's, it's you know, either high number of fatalities, the high potential for, you know, a lot of fatalities. Um, those are the types of things we'll be looking for and that there are actual actions that can be taken by the REC recipients within the next two years, which is our cycle. So can you give us a, give us a couple of examples of some of the surface transportation related ones that maybe some of our members and stakeholders listening to could relate to that's on your most wanted list? You know, I think, again, ANVA does so much work in a lot of these areas. One item is coming up with a strategy to eliminate speeding-related crashes. We have nearly 10,000 fatalities related to speeding, either you know, going over the speed limit or too fast for conditions. What can we do to set safe speed limits? What can we do to design vehicles, you know, potentially limiting their speeds uh, with speed limiters so that they aren't capable of speeding? We're also looking at protecting vulnerable road users. You know, we're, we're all sharing the road, bicyclists, pedestrians, motorcyclists. Uh, I think more so in the pandemic, people are using other ways of transportation. But 12,000 people will die in a year who are vulnerable, you know, motorcyclists, pedestrians especially. So we have that on the most wanted list. Uh, preventing alcohol impaired driving is on our most wanted list and drug impaired driving. Uh, we know less about drug impaired driving, but that's something that the states deal with every day, the alcohol and drug impaired driving. Distracted driving is is one. I know you've had a topic uh, discussing distracted driving. You know, 3,000 people will lose their lives in distraction-related crashes, and that's probably an underestimate. Um, and our last item is, you know, kind of a solution, making sure that technologies available on cars that prevents collisions, you know, both for forward collision warning or connected vehicles, where my vehicle talks to your vehicle. So if I'm going to be crossing in your path, the vehicles are talking to each other and we can kind of negotiate a safe way to proceed. That one's a, an interesting one in the sense of the scope of NTSB, because I think for most people, we think traditionally of NTSB kind of where we started the conversation, which is an incident occurs, which is what starts the NTSB process, and learn, well, what what could change to prevent that from happening again so other folks don't have to learn it the way you know you gave that example before. But the technology, it starts to shift that posture of let's get in front of the challenge. Let's not wait to investigate the crash, but let's get the technology to prevent the crash. Am I making too much of that shift of, say, the way the NTSB is starting to look at how you could play a role in highway safety? You know, that it can be more than the investigation, the recommendations, but there's a opportunity to be proactive and in front of an event that even needs to be investigated? Well, I think, you know, a lot of what drives us, unfortunately, are the tragedies that we have to investigate. But when we work on solutions to those crashes that occur, I think our solutions can go far beyond just that crash. 
And I think collision avoidance is one that we may have distraction where we recommend a collision avoidance system would be beneficial, but that's going to help in situations where, you know, you're just tired. There, there are so many situations where collision avoidance can actually work to prevent that crash. And I think one of the things that has been a big change in highway safety is we, for the longest time, have focused on wearing seatbelts and airbags and really helping people when a collision occurs. And it's really nice to be in a position where we're working on technology that can prevent that collision in the first place. One of the things we all know as we train uh, new drivers and we license new drivers is one of the most difficult things to do is to change human behavior. You know, if we can give drivers tools that recognize they're going to make errors, but that will help them avoid that collision that results from that error. Speaking of technology and crashes, another crash that I think was directly known about in our community, and I think we even received a recommendation to AMVA that we successfully closed, was the uh, Tesla crash in Arizona a couple of years ago uh, that NTSB investigated. Can you talk a little bit about that case? Yeah, so we did investigate a um, crash that occurred in Tempe that was an Uber vehicle. It was actually not a, a Tesla. It was, a, I think, a Volvo uh, vehicle that Uber was using for looking at its automated uh, vehicle program. And it was research they were doing in the state of Arizona. And we did make recommendation to AMVA to kind of inform their states that if you want to bring in this technology that I think has so much promise, make sure the companies that are doing it are doing so with a safe plan in place to do it. And then also make sure that when you're reviewing their plan, you have the right people looking at that who are going to make sure that they've thought of everything they need to do safety-wise when they put this vehicle out for testing. You know, And that was an interesting crash in the sense that the vehicle hit a pedestrian. The vehicle itself was designed with a pedestrian detection system on board, but it had to be disabled for the automation system to work. So had that been active, it would have likely seen the uh, bicyclists and, and taken action to avoid the collision but the test protocol required that to be turned off. So that's where it's important that they have a process in place to make sure that their testing is gonna be safe and that the states have the right people in place to make sure that those uh, safety measures they plan are the best ones they can have. Yeah, I think, and I guess I should go back and mention before I get letters from Elon Musk's lawyers about <laughs> saying something negative about Tesla when it wasn't, I was confusing it with what I believe was the Tesla crash in Florida. Yes. where. The vehicle was in self-drive mode and the individual was not paying attention, perhaps sleeping while it was driving itself, which was yet another one, I believe, NTSB investigated as well. We did. And, and one of the things we try to do when we are choosing our investigations, you know, there's certain things, like I mentioned before, bridge collapses, that when they're really big, you know, we're going to have to go uh, to kind of help restore confidence in the transportation system. But when things are new, I think we also have a role, especially when you think about automation and the fact that we have been investigating automation in transportation, in aviation for decades. So we're able to bring that to these investigations. In the Florida crash, our first one involving automated vehicle, 2016, and you're right, it was a Tesla operating in autopilot mode and a tractor trailer crossed in front of its path. It was something that should have been easily seen by a driver, but the driver was doing something else, was distracted or for whatever reason, not paying attention. And the system failed to detect the truck. 
which makes sense because it really wasn't designed for cross traffic. And Tesla told its owners, use this only on limited access highways because their safety systems weren't really designed for cross traffic. You know, the sad thing about that crash is two years later in Delray Beach, we had basically the same exact crash happen with a Tesla basically driving uh, underneath a semi-tractor trailer that was pulling across the road again, again, using outside of its operational design domain and basically a scenario that it really wasn't capable of operating without the driver attending. The cool thing about automation and being able to turn your vehicle on so it's driving and steering itself is it, it, it is really nice. It does reduce your workload. Um, but then it opens the opportunity for us to do other things and get distracted. We do it for a little while once, we get away with it, and then we get distracted for a longer time and to the point that we're no longer driving the car, the car's driving itself, and these types of crashes happen. In these cases, though, what kind of recommendations can come out of it? Because it's a case where the technology worked as it was designed to work. It was not a failure of the technology in the vehicle. It was a failure of the operator to use the technology the right way, in which we know there are all walks of life where you know the technology is not the issue. The problem exists between the individual and the keyboard, which is why the computer is not working. It's not the computer that's broken. It's the person that doesn't know how to use it. And this is a certainly more severe consequences of that circumstance, but it's not... You can't go back and tell Tesla, you need to do X, Y, and Z, because they were very clear with what the technology could and couldn't do. So how do you have a recommendation around changing individual operator behavior on something that is new and emerging, like this automated technology? Well, I think what we need to do is, one, recognize that we know that people will become over-reliant on this type of technology. So how do we safeguard against that happening? Uh, one of the things is the Tesla vehicle had a driver monitoring system. In that case, it was a torque on the steering wheel. So it was someone holding onto the steering wheel. That's not really a very effective measure. So I think in that case, the company is aware of people may not pay attention. There may be times when the automation needs to turn off and hand it back to the driver. So there's a system in there built in to monitor the driver. Um, and that wasn't very effective. So that's a recommendation we made is how can, you know, improve the driver monitoring feature and Tanitza, you know, develop standards for that type of system. The other is if you know there are limitations to what your vehicle can and cannot do, make sure that that vehicle that's based on the operating domain. So where you're able to use it. So I told you that the manual in this case said only use on limited access highways. But the vehicle itself could easily be programmed to know where it is and whether or not it's on a limited access highway. So that's something a, a company can do to make sure its uh, vehicles are used properly. So commercial aviation has had a strong history of sharing safety lessons across carriers without concern of competition, that I'm a more safe airline than another safe airline. Car companies use safety as a competitive edge with each other to say, my car is more safe than, than other cars. At NTSB, you want to raise the bar of safety across the marketplace. So what, what else can be done, whether it's a recommendation from a, a crash or another learning, to make sure that all these vehicles, short of a NHTSA federal mandate that says you have to do it, but that the car manufacturers can buy in and share with each other these safety innovations? 
So, you know, right off the bat, unfortunately, one of the ways that could happen is with a NHTSA makes a regulation and it puts it in place. And we have called for NHTSA to make regulations regarding uh, forward collision warning systems and automatic braking systems. The new car assessment program is another area that we've made recommendations that kind of incentivizes the car manufacturers to put safety systems in their vehicles. And that's an area I think that's ripe for uh, improvement. Euro NCAP and, and NCAPs around the world are doing much more with regard to advanced technology than we are. I think in the area of automated vehicles, we are seeing a more proactive industry that's reaching out with NHTSA and sharing some information with NHTSA and also meeting with us to get some of the lessons learned from our investigations. Uh, and I think that is, is helpful across the spectrum because again, each company shouldn't have to learn the same lessons one by one. And I think in aviation, you're right. That is an area where they basically shared safety information. And through that sharing, I think that was part of getting to the zero uh, fatalities with major airliners that we've, we've been blessed with. Which is, you know, I think we all hope to agree that we can work towards zero deaths on our roads as well. So if it's a similar goal, it would be great if we can replicate some of the strategies that work for aviation. Yes. And I think, you know, sometimes we need to make difficult decisions. If we are serious about getting to zero uh, deaths on our roadways, we need to make sure that when we make a decision about, you know, building a road, designing a car, that safety is the first priority. Um, and one of the things that we just had a um, roundtable on at the safety board was on safe systems Yes. and how we can develop, use a safe systems approach uh, for safety. And that's something that the states are, are working hard to do to make sure that, you know, the streets are designed to minimize the, the risks of crashes, that, you know, people get the treatment they need quickly after a crash. Uh, vehicles are designed to to minimize the damage. So there's a lot of components coming together to get us towards that zero, but we have to be serious about the effort we're making. And I think your point about minimizing the impact is a key one, recognizing that zero deaths may not equal zero crashes. And so if a crash is going to occur, how do you have that comprehensive system, that safe system in place, so that the impact of the crash is mitigated and minimized so that perhaps it's a non-serious injury as opposed to a serious injury or death. Exactly. And, you know, designing people to never make mistakes uh, is impossible. I mean, you know, dealing with that, you know, even with technology here and, and trying to do things virtually. But the reality is, is we can minimize, minimize the impact of those mistakes. Um, and that's what needs to be done. For those that are still learning about NTSB. What else haven't we talked about that you think would be important to mention that, that might be a, a priority for NTSB or something that's misunderstood about NTSB that we could take this opportunity to get out into the into the ecosystem? Well, I think one thing to make clear, and as you know, AMVA represents a number of the state licensing authorities. You know, we sometimes come into our investigations into a state. And, you know, we want to make sure people don't think of us as trying to take over an investigation. We have a completely separate role and the local investigation is critically important, but so is taking the lessons learned from our investigations to the national level. And so that's something that, 
we both have important investigations to do that are after different goals. So the police may be dealing with a, a local safety issue, uh, certainly dealing with potential fault in a crash. Um, we're not going to focus on fault. And generally, we're not going to be focused on a local issue. We're going to try and make national recommendations. And that's a distinction sometimes, you know, that it's helpful when, you know, people are clear that there's benefits for both of those and the importance that both of those types of investigations bring to safety. Well, Rob, I really appreciate you taking some time out of your day to chat with me and for our listeners to learn a little bit more about NTSB, how it works, and how it impacts the work that so many of our listeners do in the in the AMVA community. Because uh, I think at the end of the day, we all have that shared goal, right? We say it in our AMVA mission, the last line is all about saving lives. And I know that that's the same mission and vision at NTSB. Thank you so much. And if there's ever uh, times that people need more information, you know, our website, ntsb.gov, it's, it's pretty easy to remember, but it has our, our crash reports, has our most wanted lists um, that can, you know, help provide some materials that people need to move in those critical areas that I mentioned earlier. But thank you again for the time. Really appreciate it. And thanks to all of you for listening this week to the Amphicast. Thanks to our producers, Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin. And we'll see you all next week right back here on the Amphicast. Stay well, everyone. Thank you for joining us for Amphicast, hosted by Ian Grossman, produced by Claire Jeffrey, music by Gibson Arthur. This episode is brought to you by Recall Buzz, powered by VidSmart.